0: welcome to mcknight's home care newsmakers podcast where we share the latest information and views from industry leaders hello this is diane esterbrook staff writer for mcknight's home care daily griswold is a name almost synonymous with home care jean griswold founded the firm that bears her name more than four decades ago Her daughter-in-law, Lori, played a huge role in the company's success, first as its former executive vice president and later as the former executive director of the firm's foundation. Lori Griswold, a gerontologist and policy analyst, recently returned to Griswold as a board member. She said one of her goals is to help grow the company's franchise network. I started our conversation by asking her how she plans to do that. I
1: think the way we grew the company is a was a solid and true um approach that we did back in the day where it was slow and constant and you were very selective in terms of who you brought on as franchisees to ensure that they had the um true and sincere desire to help people and were not just um in it for the business aspect but really had a level of wanting to give back or help community or help older adults. And most of the franchisees um, that we brought on board and that they have since, you know, we sold the company definitely have that perspective. And and that to me is what makes Griswold Home Care, Griswold, um, different and unique because it's truly driven by, um, they're, they're not a franchise, you know, Um, company. They're a home care company that happens to franchise because I think it's very different. A lot of their competitors are franchise are franchisors, strictly there to sell franchises, whereas Griswold is more focused on making sure that their mission and vision are carried through through their franchise directors.
0: When you look at those people, Um, what are you looking for? And and you you mentioned that you wanted somebody who really wants to be a part of the community and they want Mm -hmm. to be involved in home care. So if you're looking at that person, that prospect, is this somebody who maybe has some sort of clinical experience or they've done something else Similar, And I'm not sure what that might look like.
1: Yeah, I mean, and that's and that's what's really interesting about um, interviewing different franchisees who are different individuals who are interested in being franchisees in that they can have a range of experience. They can have absolutely no experience in running a home care office, but took care of their mother or had a friend that they took care of and saw a need in the community, or they have been in home care and are drawn to the mission or the approach that Griswold offers and want to be a part of that, um, and that they you know, don't want to do it on their own, that they want the support of a network that is, that is um, you know, proven in the industry and also looking to grow and expand um, in different areas.
0: How does the parent help that um, person out in the field? What kind of tools do, do the people, the board um, and the management at Griswold need to do to extend to those people?
1: I think, you know, from a board perspective, it's a much more strategic approach. So it's, you know, not in the weeds with the operations, which um, the team at Griswold, Mike Slopecky has has developed a tremendous team of professionals to, you know, he's he's got a foundation to continue to grow in a very, a very um, big way. And also while maintaining the vision, which I think is key and and a goal of the board um to make sure that that isn't lost you know that they you know sell a zillion franchises but yet the mission is lost that's not the goal the goal is to maintain the quality standard which, you know, when you look at somebody who might have taken care of a parent, is that what you're asking? Like right, what yeah. what you can do? It's sure. basically giving them resources, making sure that, you know, whatever services the offices, um, the office, you know, whatever caregivers they send out, the, basically the business is screening people to make sure that you've got, you know, high quality caregivers that are paid a good wage to make sure that they will stay in the industry and also that they have the same kind of um caring heart you know we used to say you can train somebody to do anything but if they don't have a heart for caring then you know you don't want them as a caregiver and Jean used to say my mother-in-law used to say if that's somebody who you wouldn't have take care of your own family member then they shouldn't be part of your business And that is truly what all of the offices strive to meet because with a caregiver shortage, it can be very difficult. But the bottom line with caregiver recruitment and retention, it sounds simplistic, but it really does work when you treat them with dignity, respect, and an honest wage. And I think that, you know, the way we, you know, my mother in law started the business was just that way it was all about making sure that the client got quality care, but also making sure that the caregivers had a viable occupation. But it's more
0: than just um, wages today, correct? Sure. It's all about scheduling and
1: flexibility. Right, right. Yeah, it's a, you know, even in the 10 plus years, you know, since we sold the company, it's a very different world of home care. There's so many more providers. So many more saw, you know, an, an opportunity to, you know, jump into the field and, And that's one of the reasons why um, state licensure began. And that was something that I worked a lot on during my time with the business, because you'd have, you know, fly by night agencies out there, you know, sending people out without screening them and the risk of, you know, Abuse or hurt or just, you know, a number of different things to older and disabled adults was just too broad. And so the licensure component helped with that to screen out people, you know, who were, who were not doing things the right way. Um, And and I think that I mean, I was in graduate school back in the 80s. And back then they're saying, you know, oh, when the baby boomers retire, we've really got to fix the system because it's going to be a mess. Well, here we are in 2023 and very little has been done. And it is, you know, I mean, most people don't understand that Medicare doesn't cover personal care. So when you're home, if you don't have a long-term care imp- insurance policy, you know, you are paying out of pocket for those caregivers for the most part. And that's why, you know, it's people are much more involved in the process, too, as a client. They want to make sure if they're paying for something that they get what they want. And so their role and, and the whole approach for Griswold is consumer-driven care, whereas the client gets a choice. If they refer a caregiver out and the, it's not a good match, for example, you know, for whatever reason, then they send someone else, you know, but they work really hard to make sure that they get to know the client, the client's family, and they have a, you know, a good resource of caregivers to then better match. So that that's, that's really, um, and then the follow up, you know, once somebody is in the home, that they follow up and make sure everything's going well, and, and that they're um, a good, a good pair, or a good, good combination
0: you you have a very unique perspective that you bring to the board because you know you're a family member but you're also a gerontologist and you've done some right. consulting with families on long-term care right. and planning um what are the biggest obstacles that you're seeing today with families who you know they're trying to figure out what I do with my loved one, my parent, my grandparent. Do I keep them at home? Do I put them in a long-term yeah. care facility? What, what are the biggest obstacles that these people are encountering today? Is it simply the cost or are there other things?
1: There's a lot that goes into it. And a lot of it is very individualized based on the family. You know, is there anybody local, for example? Is the, is the, individual that is in need by themselves and family members live at a distance. You know, getting an agency involved to make sure that somebody's there is important. And it's also difficult um, to, you know, to make sure that you've got the right agency, because if you don't, then you fly back off to wherever you are and then you're back in the same boat if they don't fulfill their obligation to have someone take care of their parent or their loved one, whoever it is. And I think... um, Finances play a big part of it, you know, but a lot of times, I mean, there's a lot of people in the age group now, 80s and 90s, who, whose children encourage them to buy long-term care insurance policies back in the, you know, 70s, 80s. So they have that as a backup, but it's a lot of them are, are focused on facility care. And if you didn't get a home care writer or something like that, or they have specific requirements for what type of agency you can use, it can be a barrier. Um, so just making sure that they have all the answers before they make any decisions and also, um, you know, whether they're the home that they that the person lives in is safe. And able to either accommodate a caregiver or, you know, have an assessment, which, you know, the office does, they'll go out and do an initial assessment to check out the home safety and make sure if there's anything at risk, that they can address that before they'd send in a caregiver, and to make sure that it's sustainable. You know, I think, you know, financially, and I've worked in facilities, and I've worked in home care, I've worked in a lot of different um, settings, and most people want to stay in their home. And I think one of the one of the difficult factors is when you have to weigh quality of life versus safety versus finances. All those things. You just have to sit down and have honest conversations with your family and loved ones to make sure that whatever the decision is, um, it's it's the right one for everyone. And the thing now too with so many continuing care retirement communities, which you know you can go in in an apartment or or a small um house and then all of the care that you need is provided based on what they offer like there are lots of them in this area that you know you move in and then if your needs change they accommodate and i think that's something that is gives a lot of people peace of mind because then it's not worrying about you know they're in a place where they can get the care they need um But that's also the role of home care is that, you know, if they need something that they can send someone in so that the family members aren't always, you know, trying to fill in when a caregiver is out for one reason or another. Or they the best way that they do it is they'll build a a number of caregivers into a routine with a client. So say somebody has someone five days a week. They'll start with somebody maybe they'll have another person come in so they get familiar with them and the routine so they'll have two or three caregivers that they can rely upon to tap into if somebody you know needs, re- needs a substitute or a replacement and that is really you know from my perspective I've gone through it with my you know my in-laws with other friends parents and to have consistency in the caregiver is crucial because you don't want to constantly have to retrain someone as to your parents routine or their needs and although we're non-medical it's still you know a lot to, a lot to digest and a lot to do especially if you're not local.
0: And you bring up a good point because it's more than just the care. We're we're seeing the, a lot more agencies or companies partnering with other services like mm-hmm. handyman services, right. transportation. How important is that for your company and are you forming those partnerships? Are you doing that at the local level or are you doing yeah. it more at the corporate level?
1: Um, well, it depends on, it's like some some organizations, for example, national nonprofits like the MS Society or ALS Association will have national chapters, but then they have local chapters as well. And they can tap into those um, resources and chapters for specific information or know that they have caregivers that have worked with those clients before. Um, almost every local office will have has already or will you know if they're new,'ll we'll build relationships with um, their local hospitals, discharge planners because they're referral sources as well. or they'll know someone you know who who might need a ramp. And if that person has ALS, they'll contact that local chapter and see if they have someone who can build a ramp or do a home modification. So yeah, they that's the whole point of having locally owned offices as franchisees to develop those relationships and know that you've got caregivers that live close by, that you've got resources at the hospital or you know through different organizations that you can tap into, so, specifically too for training for caregivers, because there's a lot of organizations that do that and then they just become more marketable. As you know, needs arise in other with other people.
0: You talked about um, having a few caregivers being able to go into the home for that patient. Is does technology play a role now or in the future? Can can some of that care be supplemented? I know you have to have hands on when you're going in because you need somebody to be able to toilet uh, right. a patient or to help them with a the bath, and technology can't do that. But can technology? supplement and play a role.
1: Yeah, and that's something that has been in the works for many years, um, but it just depends on what specific need you might address. Like for example, there used to be no way of really tracking where their caregiver arrives at a client's house, you know, and now they can call in or dial in, you know, text to make sure that they confirm someone's there. And that's also been very helpful in programs like for Medicaid and Medicare, where there's no way of tracking the services that are being provided. And there's a lot of other things that they're looking into now as an organization. I've only been to one board meeting, so I'm not sure exactly everything that they're looking at, but there's a lot of technology out there that is going to, you know, it'll never replace the human component and all of the different pieces that go along with that. But there are definitely some ways, um, you know, that they can, that they can help. Like for example, one thing that comes to mind with my in-laws, they lived in a retirement community, and they had a laser in their apartment so that if they didn't cross the laser at some point during the day, they would go check on them. So that's a facility type of a thing which you know, could easily be implemented in a home if that's something that becomes more um, financially feasible and if that and if there are companies that have proven track records, I know um there are definitely a couple people on the board who focus in this area. So that will be something I know that Griswold is continuing to look at and and from a um strategic and also just good business sense, I think it's you know it's it's a no-brainer. I mean there's so many I mean they're coming up with ideas and apps and Programs for everything, you know, that I think can only enhance the experience and also give family members peace of mind, because that's, you know, which one thing I really um, appreciate is with the with the company's rebranding that they're, you know, the tagline is live assured, because that's really what it's all about to know that you whether you're the recipient of care or a family member that you're getting what you need to stay in your home at a quality level and have a great quality of life.
0: You mentioned um, a few minutes ago that you've been in this business for many, many years, and we've yeah. been talking about this tsunami, the gray tsunami that's, um, you know, upon us right now with the boomers retiring, and but we really haven't gotten our arms around it yet. And there's been a lot of talk in Washington right now about moving care into home and the community, but it's you know, really not gotten the support yet in Congress. Uh, From your perspective, do you think anything soon will be done to address that from policy perspective, from a funding perspective?
1: I hope so. I mean, I've been, you know, I've been advocating it for for many years because um, it's, it it always it always amazes me how many people don't realize that you know the number of people who tell me oh i'm on medicare so i can be able to call and get care right like yeah no sorry that's not the way it works well what do you mean you know why have i paid in for this for so long you know what am i going to get like well not that not yet But, you know, there are different programs, like even the Medicare Advantage program that's come out, you know, that's got, everybody has high hopes for it, but it's not, it's not going to miraculously solve everything. You know, I mean, there's, it just basically takes a few people to move things forward. It's, it's similar in some ways, an analogy years ago, um, When individuals had kidney failure, one of my brothers had kidney issues, so my mom was really involved in in the Kidney Foundation and moving forward advocacy efforts, there was no coverage for dialysis, so the End Stage Renal Act Renal Disease Act was put forth under Medicare so that those individuals could receive dialysis. But before that, they had things that were called death committees where they'd say, okay, there's three people who need dialysis. Which one has the best, you know, chance of living or has the best, you know, and it was really so subjective and so. Oh, just so difficult, but a lot of that still happens now with healthcare rationing. I mean, people don't look at it that way because nobody wants to, but, you know, in the different services that are provided or, or covered through insurance or through Medicare, you know, it's, it's not everything. Um, so yeah, do I hope that it happens? Definitely something else I would love to see happen is federal background checks so that, you know, for caregivers, they, you know, it's, it's. One of those instant things and not just state by state, but it's a federal database that they can tap into so that it's it's, you know, never a risk to have caregivers, you know, who might have come from, you know, one state to another and getting that instant information. Um, it's much, much better than it used to be um, it used to take days, sometimes weeks to get that information. But now it's much more readily available. But things like that, too, to ensure safety, um, I think, are components that a lot of times it takes a person in Congress that's having a personal experience. You know, with their parent to say what? Are you kidding me? You know, this, you mean this isn't covered? I mean, we had a client in Georgia one time whose whose son was a state senator, and he was like, "I can't believe this." And we're like, "Yeah." And so he worked really hard to get a lot of different services and things provided in the state, but you know, federally, that that's just you know, working with older people isn't always the most sexy or most you know attractive um, thing, but yet. It's it's becoming so, such a huge issue. Um, you know, baby boomers are living a lot longer than people anticipated, and um, they want what they want. I mean, when you look at the social social you know demands of that cohort, they are not ones to go quietly into the night. They want they want home care. They want it, and they want it the best quality, and they want it when they want it. You know, it's like, I want it now. I don't want to wait three weeks, you know, while you look for a caregiver, which is a real issue now for many agencies because of the caregiver shortage. You know, there's just, and then with COVID and all the uh, difficulties that came along with that, there are some good things that came out of that in terms of you know i think better hygiene and cleaning and things like that that can help people you know especially in facilities but also in home care but you know it's still I wish I could tell you, yes, I, I know somebody in Congress who wants to get this done. Um, believe me, if there were, I'd be sitting on their doorstep waiting to get in and chat with them. And we had a lot of people in the state of Pennsylvania who worked with us with during our licensure. When we worked, we were a big part of the state licensure for home care back 10 years, at least 10 or more years ago now. And that has helped the industry, but it's also, um, you know, something that is just a first step to making sure that people can get the care that they need at home.
0: Well, Lori Griswold, good luck on your new (laughs) role. And thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to McKnight's Home Care Newsmakers podcast. For the latest in home care news, visit McKnightshomecare.com.